Amen. 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 Don't know what happened there, but we got through it. Got through it. Um, today, um, in our text, we're going to talk about grown up by the whole gospel. Yes, grown up by the whole gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you <clears throat> for the whole gospel. Um, curse it be us if we add or take away from it. Uh, may we be the most miserable if we do. Um, yet, Lord God, if we stand firm in it, may we continue to experience the comfort and the peace and the grace that is freely dispensed to us through Jesus Christ. And so, God, today as we meditate on the whole gospel, um, may you help us to recognize its importance as that which sustains us, that which continues us, and that which strengthens us, Lord God. And so, Lord God, let the words of my mouth in this message and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust, help us to not just be hearers of the word deceiving ourselves, but help us, O oh God, to be doers who rightly respond to your gospel by your power, by your strength, and by your activity. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, my wife and I, I'm trying to remember when it was. I can't remember. My wife and I went over some folks' house, <coughs> and they cooked a wonderful, wonderful meal for us, and they made a dessert. It's one of my favorite desserts. It's pound cake. I love pound cake. I only have it once every six months. But when I reserve my calories for that type of anointing, uh, I, I, I want me some good pound cake. And I, I love pound cake that comes right out of the oven and still got the crusty love on the top, but with the moist ministry that's in the middle. Um, it, 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 it is, if you had a good pound cake, see, y'all should have been shouting right there. That was your shouting moment. If you had a, if you had a good pound cake, that's how it is. But it's nothing like taking, you know, not, not, while it's warm from the oven, not microwave, fresh out the oven. See, that's a different heat. I'm talking about fresh heat. Then you just take some skescawi, some, some, some Haagen-Dazs, just one scoop, and you set it near it so just enough of it melts into the crescents. Of the pound cake. I, I, I like me some hocking diziasis and some pound cake. I, I love that. Um, and so we went over to this person's house, and so I'm ready. I'm, I'm getting my pound cake on, and I go, I, I take my first hit. <laughs> and I kind of look around the room because I was a little confused at what's happening on my palate. And so without, you know, because you can't in somebody's house tell them something that they cook isn't good. So I'm trying to figure out how I was not going to eat the whole thing while they sit in front. Because you know people cook something and then watch you. You know what I'm saying? I don't like that. Give me some room to not like it. So, you know? And so, um, you know, and so, 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 so I'm eating it. And I'm like, I, I'm like, something's different. And so I, I said, um, this, um, what's... What you know, what's your ingredients for this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They said, oh, you noticed. I was like, in my spirit, I was like, did I? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, um, yeah, I'm trying out a new recipe. I'm like, my soul, like, oh, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Um, and um, they said, yeah, instead of butter, we did applesauce. Now, if, if you know anything about pound cake, you use a pound of butter in the pound cake. <laughs> if I'm going to have pound cake, I want all, I, ain't, I don't want gluten-free. I, I want, I, you know, every, I want the pound cake. Amen. But, 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 but they didn't recognize that in taking that one ingredient out, 
it ceased to be pound cake. The flavor of it was different. The texture of it was different. And just the mere taste of it was noticeable to my palate that it wasn't fully what it looked like and proclaimed to be. And right here in this passage, we see Paul challenging the Corinthian believers for taking an ingredient out of the gospel. When you take one ingredient out of the glorious gospel, it no longer is the gospel. Everything that God says is the gospel in the content of the gospel um, 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 must remain in it so that it can have the flavor that God eternally cooked up before the foundations of the earth. We live in a society where people want to add ingredients to the gospel. We live in a society where people want to take away from the gospel. We live in a society where people aren't satisfied with the enoughness of Jesus. And when you get to a point where you're not serious and you're not committed to the uh, and submissive and grabbing hold of the committedness of what Jesus has done for you, and you, you add or take away anything, it ceases to be the gospel. But it doesn't change the gospel itself. It changes its impact on your life and my life. And so Paul begins challenging the Corinthians to let them know that when you, when, you, when you try to stir up another gospel, you would destroy your life. He culminates in this passage with really, like, you're going to almost laugh at the, the, what we would, some of us would call the elementary things that he's going to go through in this passage. <laughs> but as he goes through these seemingly elemental items, He's really letting them know that the gospel is never to be treated as an elementary idea. That, that, that every piece of the gospel is a part of the building blocks to make us who we are as believers and to develop us. And, and we must recognize that we never get over the gospel. We never get over the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're always being nourished and nurtured off of not the, not the idea of the gospel, but the gospel itself as the transforming agent that God utilizes to do all that he wants to do in us. And so here in this passage, I got three, <coughs> got three points again, um, three points again, and I'll give them to you, and we're going to just walk through this passage as much of this as we can. Number one, um, if you are going to grow up by the whole gospel, number one, you must believe gospel content. Number two, you must work through gospel conflict. And number three, you must be encouraged by gospel consummation. Number one, you must believe in gospel content. Number two, you must, you must work through gospel conflict. And number three, number three, you must, you must be encouraged by gospel consummation. Let's go through the first point. Believing gospel content. Somebody say gospel content. Paul goes almost simplistically over the gospel, yet what he does is he highlights components of it that the Corinthians are extracting out to make that aspect of what they don't want in the gospel removed from it, not recognizing that it impacts their spiritual life. And so he goes back to the original communication that they received from him and what they believed. And what he says to them is he says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, so he says, you're believers, right? Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And so what, what, what Paul is beginning to do is he's trying to help them to recognize that <laughs> they believed the gospel that he preached, which is the whole gospel, yet some way, shape, or form, they became innovative over time with that gospel. And in other, in, other, in, other, in, other words, in other words, the gospel, God isn't like sending new updates. Like, I just got an update this week on my iPad and iPhone. Like, and when, I, you, when you go into the update, you go and you look and you say, bugs detected, and it's all of these bug fixes because when the manufacturer created this, 
they didn't recognize that because they're imperfect, that they recognize that there's going to be a lot of imperfections as it works itself out practically in the user-friendliness of people's lives. Well, God isn't like in heaven like, man, we really messed that gospel up, huh? Let's send the Corinthians an update, you know what I'm saying, so that they can, you know, re-preach and kind of tweak what I said and, you know, so they can, no, God doesn't need tweaking of the gospel. The gospel doesn't need updating. We need updating. And so, and, so, and so the gospel continues to signal our needs for bug fixes, and that's what's going on in this passage. There has to be a bug fix of the people's disposition towards the gospel. And so he says, <coughs> he says, you stand in it. And so he's talking about their commitment to it in the, in, in the sense of mere belief in it. Now look what he says next, which is interesting. He says, and by which you are being saved. Somebody say being saved. Being saved. Now notice he didn't say were saved. Okay. You, 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 you already were saved. You're being saved, and then later we'll talk about you will be saved. Now, what I, I, it's so much, I can just spend the whole time, these next 32.3 minutes, on this, time, on this time, on just this. But when he talks about being saved, it's in a present passive. And in it being in a present passive means that it's always a present activity in the life of the believer. That, that, that means the gospel is always active. It's never dormant in the life of the believer. Now, number two, passive means you don't save yourself. It's something that happens to you, not happens by you. In, 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 other, in, other words, in other words, what the gospel is doing is it's saving you without your help. Oh, oh, some of us need to hear that because many of us think that our, God's commitment to us is based on our commitment to him. But when you got saved, you had no commitment to him. So, 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 so your commitment to him doesn't save you. His commitment to you saves you. Now, some of us are looking funny, and Pastor, why in the world are you teaching that? Because most of us somehow s s slides into structural, functional legalism in our life. Where, where, where we begin to believe the lie of Satan that in some way, shape, or form, our devotional life saves us. Yeah. We believe that our prayer life saves us. Yeah. We believe that our service and church membership saves us and keeps us saved and holds on to us. And, 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 and what happens with that mentality is that doesn't mean you don't do those things, but those things don't give you salvation. And the other thing that I like about this family of God is because the saving happens to you, you can't lose your salvation. <laughs> it's preposterous to believe that you can lose it if it's happening to you. Now, if you earn it, then that means, guess what? You lose it. But if you didn't earn it in the first place, and it's called eternal life. How in the world is it called? I like, the, I like what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says. It says, being protected by faith in him. In, 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 other, in other words, what God does is he makes a commitment to protect you and I from the stupidity of our sinfulness. If God let the sinfulness of our stupidity get in the way of us being saved, we would have not been saved long ago. But the issue is, is God so powerful that the one drop of the blood is so powerful? Matter of fact, the molecular structure of Christ's blood being passed on and touching us is enough to clean us forever and ever and ever. That's why he says you are being saved, being saved. So it's happening to you and I right now. He says, if you hold fast. Somebody says, see, that's what I'm talking about. It's because if you don't hold fast, then you won't be saved anymore. Well, it's a condition that means since you hold fast. Not if conditional in that sense of the condition. He says, unless you believed in vain. Now, he's going to walk through some things to help them to recognize that our lives don't validate the gospel, but the gospel validates our lives. It's very important for us to recognize and to let this reality soak in to help us to recognize that this is why he focuses on the resurrection in this passage so powerfully, and he focuses on that aspect and how he explains the gospel. He says, for I delivered you, my sons and I are memorizing this verse together, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Somebody say first importance. first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul said, I ain't come to you with something else. Like at the first, when I first started chopping it up with y'all, the first thing I brought up was the gospel. 
Not no argumentation, not no apologetical structure, not no straw man. I bought my, I'm making a beeline to the cross and resurrection. I remember when I was in college, and, um, you know, I was a part of a college ministry that will go nameless. Um, and um, um, I don't even know if it's in existence anymore, but um, I became a part of it. They were, in some ways, helpful to me in my spiritual development and growth um, at, the t- at that time in concordance, accordance with the local church. So, you know, I got saved, you know what I'm saying? And when I got saved, started walking with the Lord, I started, I told everybody. I mean, if you was an administrator at, I don't care if you the president of the school, uh, that's why my wife nodded my head, she was there. I would talk to you about the gospel everywhere. I, I, I you know, and, and everything. I told my mom, I told football players, frat brother, whoever, you going, you going, if you're going to have talked to me, Jesus is going to come up some way, shape, or form in the conversation. And so when I got saved, people was like, God exists, because that Negro was crazy right there. You know what I'm saying? So God, you know, and so I invited some cats to Bible study. You know, we went to the Bible study together. This is our first Bible study. I'm really excited. And so this guy leading the Bible study, the first Bible study, I bring all my football player dudes, all the dudes that I've been rolling with, and, and, and we, we bring them into Bible study, and some, everybody didn't come, but a lot of them did come, and they taught on the filling of the Holy Spirit. So they got people in there, big old football players, Hands lifted, talking about hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they looking at me like they're going to kill me after this is over. And I'm sitting there like, ah. And then I talked to the guy afterwards. I'm like, even I don't necessarily believe that the Holy Spirit comes after salvation. But even if you do believe that, like the gospel should have been proclaimed first. The second blessing doesn't save you. There is no Holy Ghost coming upon anybody without Christ being in their life. He said, I made this of first importance as the most important thing. And anything, that's why anything that exalts itself against this is a stronghold. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. Anything that exalts itself (coughs) against the first importance of the gospel is a stronghold and therefore needs to be torn down. And so right here, when he talks about this idea of first importance, he gives them the content of what he first went to them with when he hit the shores of Corinth. And what does he do? He says, he says, this this is what I say. He said that Christ died for our sins. I like that. I I, I like that's that's very important. Then he says, in accordance with the scriptures, kind of like a chip on his shoulder. I like that, that he was buried truth that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We need to hear that often. I like that he says in accordance with the Scripture because he's not only talking about the circulation of the book of Mark, which was probably the first book to be circulated. Um, As a matter of fact, for free, we just found out that they found wrapped on a mummy's face some old parchments of the book of Mark from 90 A.D., first century. And now people trying to act like we did something wrong now. You know, somebody... Anyway, next, anyway, um, it, 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 it was beautiful about this. Paul's talking about that. Oh, he's talking about Tanakh, the Old Testament. So he's talking about that the Old Testament was sufficient enough for you to understand the gospel. Yeah. Now, when he says according to the scriptures, he, he's emphasizing something very, very important. Now, check out what he does next. He says, then he appeared to more than, uh, 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 let, me, let me go back up. He says, and that, uh, he's in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Last of all, as an untimely born, he appeared to me. Why does he keep saying appeared here? Very, very important. Because the Corinthians have a heretical idea of the resurrection, which I will get into in a second. But but, but their lack of belief in something about the resurrection makes Paul reproclaim the gospel to them with the emphasis on him showing them the reality of what they removed from the gospel. Are y'all tracking with me? And so what he does that's powerful in this passage is what he begins to do is he keeps saying appeared, appeared, appeared. In, 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 in Lee Strobel's book, Case for Christ, he talks about the fact that um, people say that the resurrection, many people say that that was a hallucination. He said, well, it can be a hallucination if only one person hallucinated. He said, but 500 plus people don't have a community hallucination together. You know what I'm saying? Even people on LSD don't have the same, uh, yeah, y'all, don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. 
um, you know, you know, you, everybody don't have, and, and the, 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 the vividness of their account, he even recognizes and had to recognize at the time as a structural, functional atheist that this gospel was authentic. And so Paul is pressing forward with the Corinthians to help them to recognize that this was an authentic resurrection. He says, last of all, me, untimely born. He said, I wasn't even supposed to be in the mix. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. He's talking down on himself. He says, I'm unworthy to be even called an apostle. He said, because I persecuted the church. He said, I was wilding. He said, why in the world would God choose me? And I was the one that tried to destroy what he was trying to build. He says, but by the grace of God. You should always in your spirit have a but the grace of God somewhere in your testimony. You, you should have a but the grace of God in your testimony. Paul always, see, Paul liked, Paul liked to boast in the fact that he wasn't thinking about the Lord. Yes. And, and, and the fact that even in his lack of thinking about the Lord and him being against the Lord, that the Lord was thinking about him. I'm glad that in the midst of our mess, this is just for free real quick, in the midst of how far you were off, that God was thinking about you. And it says here, it's, it says, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, nothing about me can be attributed to my ability and my attractiveness, but just God's commitment to show himself off through using a messy life. And so he goes and he says, I am what I am. And he said, and his grace towards me was not in vain. I like this. So what is he hitting the Corinthians up with? He's hitting the Corinthians up with the fact that when the gospel is held to, something happens to you. Something happens to you in faith in the gospel <coughs> that, that, that causes you to have a fruitful life because of a belief in the gospel. And so remember he said, unless you believe in vain, it should be bearing fruit. Colossians chapter 1, Paul in his salutation talks about his celebration of the Colossian church, that the gospel has been bearing fruit ever since the first day that you heard it. And so that in the life of a believer, belief in the gospel always, always makes its way into the gospel happening to us to cause us to have a fruitful life. And so what he begins saying is, he says, on the contrary, he said, I work harder than everybody. I don't know if I could say that. He was under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, though. So he gets a free pass on this one. I don't know if too many preachers can stand up. I work harder than everybody in the ministry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, um, he said, though it was not I, there it is, but the grace of God that is with me. See, you can work as hard as you want on something. But if there's no Holy Ghost blowage through the grace of God, nothing won't happen. In other words, what made his work count, you can see some of us are working in graceless environments. Y'all got quiet on that part. See, God, God, see, the beauty of what Paul does is his faith in the gospel as he works. The grace of God works in concordance and overriding even his mess to be able to powerfully display the grace and power of the gospel, even in the midst of his past and even in the midst of his present. And this helps us to recognize what is he telling the Corinthians? He says, from chapters 1 to chapter 14, the reason I've been jamming you up about your fleshliness is because the impact of your, the way you relate to the gospel has impacted your basic moral premise in your everyday life. In other words, in other words, your disposition towards the gospel can impact all the way back to chapter one, clickism. It can impact how you impact about worldly wisdom, chapter two. Chapter 3, growing up spiritually. Chapter 4, spiritual authority. Chapter 5, church relationships. Chapter 6 and chapter 7, sexuality. Chapter 8 through uh, chapter 14, how the gatherings of the saints come together. And then he comes here now to jam us up, to grow us up, to focus us in on the fact that the holding of ourselves to the greatness of what God says in the glory of the gospel is so important to our lives that it impacts what everything in our life looks like. And so he roots it and challenges them in a powerful way in this area. And he says, whether then it was I <coughs> or Cephas or anybody else, so we preach and so you believe. He says, so this is the gospel you believe. Now let's talk about it, working through gospel conflict. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of y'all in Corinth, well, that's y'all in the Greek, say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
He says, so how can y'all even say that? Now, what are they saying specifically? Look at what he begins telling them in verse 13. He says, but if, no, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. He said, and if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So what he begins doing is challenging the aspect of belief that they had in the gospel that was an unbelief by removing a part of the gospel away. What they began believing was, is they stopped believing. They didn't believe that when believers returned, they would get a new body and they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a resurrection. The people just die and they're just kind of there. And what he began telling them and letting them know that your idea of what you believe about the gospel is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in the resurrection of believers, you can't believe in the resurrection of Christ. Because every part of the gospel is tightly connected to every part of the gospel. When you take one part away, it removes the whole of what it's supposed to be. Pastor, why in the world is this so important? Because it is the thing that hinges everything together in our faith as believers. Why do we continue to contend for the gospel? Why do we continue to talk about this death and this resurrection? Why in the world will we uh, uh, have cross-centered songs and do an album called Center? Why in the world will we plant a church in Camden? Why in the world will we plant a church in South Central LA? Why in the world will we plant a church in Brooklyn? Why in the world will we plant churches in Malawi? Why in the world will we plant a church in Philly? It's because we believe that every component of the gospel is important. If there's no resurrection, we're fools. This is a gathering of a cult of fools. No different than that Martin Lawrence episode when he went out and lost his mind. Remember that? What was he saying? Um, shaka, nah, that was, uh, what's happening? Um, shaka, goon, shaka, shaka. I don't remember the one. All right, come back, Pastor. Um, I don't remember that one. But it would have been cultic ideas that we're believing in. But this gospel matters. Why do we put, because I've seen people wrestle with the gospel. They, they, they walk out, they serve in ministry, and all of a sudden, I'm struggling and wrestling through the gospel. What about the gospel are you wrestling with? I'm wrestling with this aspect of it, and the reason why, and then you go and you do detailed analysis of their spiritual life, and you're finding out that there are myriads of mess that's a response to the lack of belief in the gospel in this particular area that's caused them to turn off and to become morally promiscuous in different areas of their life because belief in the gospel, belief in the truth, of the resurrection matters. That's why we have the power of a resurrected life. Have the power of a resurrected life. Why does it matter? It impacts everything. Everything. And the beauty of it is that it's done to us by faith in Christ. And we get the opportunity to just grow, and we're on an ever-growing trajectory. That's why you can decay on the outside and get old. The Bible says you can go ahead and get old. But even though you're decaying on the outside, the Bible says you're being renewed day by day on the inside. That's the work of being saved. You can use dye on your hair. You can hair weave. You can comb out your beard. You can get stomach surgery, nip tuck. You can do whatever you want. Be healthy, whatever. But at the end of the day, that doesn't do anything to impact your spiritual trajectory. It's very, very important for us to recognize the power of the resurrected life that the great God, Jesus Christ, has given us the ability to experience. And he challenges the Corinthians in this area. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Hold up. So if you say, you say, Paul, you say, Paul, if I say believers aren't going to be raised from the dead, then Christ's resurrection wasn't real because of what Christ's resurrection does. If Christ's resurrection doesn't do what his resurrection was meant to do, then his resurrection isn't real. I'm going to talk about it in a second. Because if you take any aspect, because even the applications of what Christ's death set in order cosmically, his death and resurrection changed the polarity of the universe. And if any of those polaric items are removed, so is he. Look, Look what it says here. He says, he says, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, (coughs) then our preaching is in vain. 
and your faith is in vain. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. We're talking smack. He says, because we testify about God that he's raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead is not raised. And so they were going around teaching, ain't nobody getting up from the grave. They were going around believing that idea. Some of them, notice he said some of them, but you know, some of them can turn into many of them because whenever, whenever somebody puts out a mild falsity, it becomes a massive falsity over time. And so what we have to do is we're not being angry. We're just nipping it in the bud where it is. And, and, and that's a very, very important thing. Last point, and then I'm out of your way. We saw that growing up, uh, you grow up by the whole gospel. You saw that we have to believe the content of the gospel, gospel content. We have to work through gospel conflict. And then finally, we got to be encouraged by gospel consummation. What is consummation? Somebody say creation, creation. Fall, fall, redemption, redemption. Consummation. consummation. Creation is God creating everything perfect on earth, evil existing because of Satan in the spirit world, but not in the physical world. He utilized Adam and Eve to permeate the evil that he, had cre- that he had come up with in the spiritual world into the physical world so that it can permeate every creation. Even the devil understands the polaric effects of man's adamic rec- representation in Adam. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to reverse the polarity of God's creation by utilizing his vice regent as a means to get to us, to really get to God. And so what he wants to do, the enemy wants to continue to do, even in the life of the believer, is try, even though he can't, but he wants to practically work against you being saved. And so his fight is to make you misrepresent the God of heaven. And so, and, so, and so what we see here is the, the, the fall did that, and then, but God had already, before the foundation of the world, slayed Jesus. So God had already put in a chess plan, even though he, really, he ain't really got to do that because ain't no really a fight with him. But he knew how he was going to king himself, and he's going to checkmate the enemy. And he got, an enemy know he can't win, he just want to put up a fight, even though it ain't really a fight. If God just really wanted to punch him, he can knock him slam out right now, flat out, just Mike Tyson, eternal God punch, right? But, 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 but he allows things to play out so that we can, in the cosmic mix, look to him in the midst of the punches of the enemy. And so, and so, and so we get redemption in him alone. And when we get that redemption, now the game is over. Now we have victory, but the fight isn't completely finished. Because, because, because we have to move on, and I'm going to show you in a second. But now Paul now does something powerful, church, is he talks about the consummation. Somebody say consummation. consummation. It's the eschatological finishing of all things where not only were we saved, not only are we being saved, but we will be saved. And now he's going to walk through the process of the will be saved in connection to the resurrection of Christ. And so now he says, now that I'm dealing with the lot as you told, now I'm going to deal with the truth that the Bible teaches. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He says, so let's, 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 let's nip that in the bud real quick. He's going to give them a lesson. And he says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits here points to the first of a kind involving the character of the destiny. So what Christ did, his death as being one of the first fruits based on Romans and based on 1 Corinthians, when it talks about him being the first fruits, he's the first of a kind of a new thing. And in him being the first of a kind of a new thing, he says, for as by a man, talking about Adam, (coughs) came death. He says, by a man has has come also the resurrection And so what he's not talking about is universalism. He's talking about those who respond to the birth and death of their dad. So if you follow Adam's birth and death, you'll die like Adam, spiritually, continually. But if if you're born, reborn, and resurrected under the resurrection of Christ, you get the consequences of Christ by faith. Look what he says. He says, he says, for as in Adam, all die, everybody, and we choose to right? He says, also, he says, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I like this. He said, but each in his own order. Order points to according to ranks. 
This is beautiful. And you may want to put on your shouting shoes or take them off real quick because I like this part. And I may run out the building myself. He says, Christ, the first fruit, he says, he's resurrected first. So him being resurrected from the grave first changed the polarity of what Satan utilized Adam to change the polarity of. Now the, now the polarity of the universe has been reversed, right? Even though you don't notice it now. So a believer's life in being saved points to the fact that the polarity of the universe is different now. Every time you grow spiritually, you're pointing to the fact that a resurrection took place and you are a part of that chain reaction. Even creation groans in pain for the revelation of the sons of God. Y'all ain't talking back to me. In other words, creation, like, we sick of this earth. You know, it wasn't like, it's some trees that's been here for a long time. It's, I remember what it was like when, you know, when there wasn't none of this bull on this planet. You know, now we, now I'm, I just rather go out of existence than to be in this messed up world. I mean, the trees are almost anthropomorphically dealing with one another. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> and the Bible says it groans in pain. It says, then the come, then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Ooh! So what's going to happen is Christ's going to return. Boom! First fruits. Showing off his new body. Now the people in heaven don't have their new body. they just souls in heaven that are fully redeemed but without their full redemption. So even the people that are in heaven now haven't been fully saved yet. Because they're waiting. They're waiting for the fullness of their salvation. And so we down here on earth paying bills. Getting in car accidents, in traffic, sickness, frustration. And then one day, Jesus Christ is going to step out on a cloud. And as soon as he steps out, all the other believers are going to come with their souls, and their bodies are going to go back in the decaying places. The worm is going to have to give them up. The animals going to have to give them possums that whatever was eating on their body going to have to vomit them back out centuries later, and they're going to go back, and their body is going to rematerialize, and they're going to go like this, shoot up in the air. And as they go up in the air, their body is going to be transfigured into a brand spanking new body. Those who are on the planet, you're going to be eating some oatmeal. Go up. Get a brand spanking new body. What the world? Woo! Woo! Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you up there and you're like, Dad, you ain't, it's going to happen. in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen. <laughs> why, why is he telling them this? He says, this is your destiny. Why in the world would you live below that? He said, he said because what's going to happen? Look at what happens. He says, then comes the end. Uh-oh. And he says, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority, there will be no more injustice ever again. There'll be no more injustice fights. There'll be no more race battles. There'll be no more bad cases. There'll be none of that because the king of kings is going to come back. And the one who rules justly is going to come back and rule. Now what's going to happen is, is the Bible says that God is going to put all of Christ's enemies under his feet. He, how does he do that? He hands his authority over to Jesus for the time of his incarnation until the kingdom is fully done. What he's going to do is put away the false prophet. He's going to put away that other dude, that, 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 um, that uh, antichrist, and he's going to put away old Slewfoot, as the old preacher called him, Satan, in the lake of fire forever. Once that's done and all of those, the sea is going to give up its dead, and the unbelievers are going to have new bodies put on them. And the Bible says that they will be thrown body and soul into hell to experience physically and spiritually what it means forever to be separated from God so that they can comprehensively feel the wrath of God forever. Forever. Physical and spiritual bodies. But check it out. We get our physical and spiritual bodies not to experience the wrath of God, but to comprehensively experience enjoyment as it was intended. And after that's over, <coughs> Jesus is going to take his crown off. And the tabernacle of God is going to be among men, and Christ is going to take his diadem and place it on God the Father. And then at that moment, I believe that Philippians 2 will come.
and the Father will proclaim a eternal universal bow of believing and non-believing folks to the diadem lordship of his son. And those who are in Christ, we will bow by choice. But those who aren't in Christ will bow by force. And in bowing by force, all of the things, everything is handed back over to the Father, all rule, all authority. And what I like about this, and it's beautiful about this, is for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And what, what, is that, what, is that, what does that point to? Uh, it, it points to a, a great idea. Whenever I let somebody borrow something of mine, I want you to give it back to me better than what I had given it to you in. If I let you borrow my car, I don't want no McDonald's and tater chips and crumbs in my car. I don't want your smell in there. You need to take it to the car wash, air freshener, vacuum if you did that. Amen, hallelujah. I even need armor all. In other words, bring my stuff back better than I gave it to you. What Jesus has done in his incarnation, his death, burial, and resurrection is he came on this backwater planet, messed up, tore up from the floor up. And Jesus said, I'll be right back, Dad. I'm going to get some stuff in order, and I'll be right back. And what he does is the consummation of all things is Christ when he hands the kingdom back over to God, which the kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all things. It's Jesus Christ handing the universe back to God better than it was left. And every day of your life is the work of the gospel of Christ working in your life to hand you back to God better than you were when you were born. He says, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And the one that comes to me, oh may, I shall certainly not ever, double negative, in the Greek means positive, on steroids mean I will never cast them out. And so don't you give up on the good news of the gospel. Don't you stop believing in every component of the glory of who Christ made you to be. Every day of your life, every struggle that he sends you to, every piece of brokenness, every pain, every frustration, it's him working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. <coughs> Bible says, work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling, for it is he who is willing in you to work his good pleasure. So every day of your life is processing the mess out of you. No pun intended. Every day of your life is Christ through the gospel, by the Spirit, working in you to make you better. No matter how lonely you feel, no matter how, what you're going through, there's a resurrection coming. It's a resurrection coming. But until then, your spiritual growth is trailers of a greater resurrection. Living God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the glorious gospel settles us in you and <coughs> reminds us how much enough you are. And that every component of the great and mighty gospel is important. It nourishes us who believe and grows us and focuses us and deals with us. And I just thank you, God, for such a wonderful plan that only you could come up with. And so, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, encourage your people today. Maybe there's someone here today and you've never put your faith in the one who has called you, is calling you, by you hearing this good news about his death and resurrection, that Christ paid for your sins. Paid, he paid it all on the cross by dying and God pouring out his wrath that was due you and I on Jesus Christ. It was powerful about that reality. It was powerful about that is you don't have to pay for your sins, separated from God forever. You heard the gospel today. If you're here today and you want to put your confidence in Christ by faith, slip your hand in the air, please. We would love to talk to you about Christ's death and resurrection. Anyone, anyone, 
anyone. Believing in Christ helps your signal get reestablished. It's, you can go by a phone all you want to, <laughs> but if the phone doesn't have a service provider, you won't be able to use it for its intended purposes to make calls. Well, the cross is the perfect cell tower. It's the cell tower that reconnects us with heaven's signal so that we can have a relationship with God all over again. And the phone of our lives will be user-friendly in the hands of the living God because of Christ paying for us. And what's good about being in Christ that's different than your cell phone company is you don't have any service fees. He's paid it all through his death. If there's anybody here today that wants to put their confidence in Lord Yahshua, Jesus Christ, his imperial majesty, the Lord himself, the God-man, slip your hand up in the air. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved and be in a relationship with God. Anyone, anyone today, the door is open for you to put your confidence in what Christ has done for you, not what you do for him, but what he's done for you. Well, maybe you're a believer and you're wrestling with the gospel and you're wrestling with the resurrected life and you're wrestling with this idea of recognizing the impact of the gospel on your life and your belief and everything involved with that is being challenged as we talked about today. And you want just prayer on that, just God to realign you. Why don't you stand so we can pray for you? We'd love to pray for you. Thank you for standing, sis. Appreciate that. Thank you, bro. I see you in the balcony. Thank you for standing. Thank you, sis, for standing. Thank you, sis. Yeah, that gospel renewal of dedication. Anybody else? Yeah, thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. I see you, sis. I see you, bro. I see you, sis. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, sis, for standing. Thank you all for your boldness. Thank you all for your boldness. Why don't y'all just make one more step? Come on up. I want to pray for you right in front of me real quick. Why don't you just come on up and... um. And I want to pray for you. Anybody else that, that senses, I, I, I want gospel alignment. I want gospel to God to realign me with the good news of the gospel. Anybody else? I see y'all coming. Anybody else? Anybody working? You could come off your, your working if you want to and serving. Anyone else that says, I, I know that my life hasn't been aligned with the gospel for a while. I'm saved. I know Jesus is my Savior. But I just know that I haven't been walking in any sense of alignment with the gospel in very systemic ways in my life. Thank you, sis. Thank you for your boldness. Anybody else? Anybody else? We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Thank you, sis, for your boldness. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I see you coming. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Anyone else? This is, I, 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 want, I want prayer for this. I, I have been wrestling in this, and God struck a nerve in me. God struck a nerve in me. Thank you for coming all the way from the balcony. Anybody else? Anyone else before I pray? Before we pray? Together. Thank you, sis. Thank you. Thank you for coming up. Thank you. Thank you. Anymore. We got a little time. We got some time. Thank you, bro. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Anybody else? It's okay. Even if you're wrestling. If you're wrestling with it, that means you need to come. You're already wrestling. You're trying to wonder. Just come. We, 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 we believe the door and opportunity is open for us to just pray about this thing so that God can realign us with his word, with his truth found in the gospel. Thank you for coming. I see you coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anybody else that's wrestling and saying, God, I want all you have for me. I want all you have for me in the gospel. I want to be all for you. If y'all can move down this way for me, move down this way for me. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Well, Father God, I come with this multitude of people who have professed faith in you. And they are wanting you to help realign them with gospel good news. And God, I'm praying for every man and woman standing before me 
Lord God, that you would touch them right where they are. And Lord God, touch them in a way that walks in the fact that the polarity of the universe of their life has been changed. That faith in the gospel changes everything. And that we as believers, because of your power, have set, you've set us through the gospel on a brand spanking new course. Through the resurrected Lord. So that our lives would never be the same and ever in a progressive work of you acting upon us, not us acting upon you, but you acting upon us by faith, by which day to day we're believing by faith on the smallest and most massive level that you're at work in us, willing us in our growth, willing us in our commitment to you, willing us in our faith in you, willing us to be made new and to continue to be made new. And so I pray (coughs) for these who are here, whatever brokenness and issue that has marred their gospel picture, Lord God, will will, will you remove it in the mighty name of Jesus? And will you bring restoration to hearts? Will you bring restoration to minds? Will you bring restorations to souls and spirits and minds and dispositions in every area of their life? And whatever is an obstacle, that's easily entangling them, whether an encumbrance of a sin, Lord God, I pray that they would keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. Lord God, help them to recognize that without faith it's impossible to please you. God, and the one that comes to you must know that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Lord God, help them to be reminded of the last verse of Romans 14, that anything done outside of faith is sin. Lord God, by faith in your gospel, help them to hold fast and stand firm in the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and help whatever uh, appendices that they have placed on your good news to be torn out of the book in order that they may see Christ and live for him more clearly on a very, very practical level. May it, sh- may, may it permeate every sector of their existence as they grow in a progressive grace that you've given them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Everybody agree-